This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 55 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On Another Track is talking to people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. So let's talk about that, you know, because that's really important because I think it gives perspective and I think these issues want to make people aware of them, right? I always wanted to see if I could afford to pay a ghostwriter or somebody to write a memoir for me about my life. Because every time I tell people about my stories and stuff, you should really write a book about it. People should love to hear that. That's the voice of my guest this week, Rory Augustine. He's the owner and founder of Rolly Wellness. I first got to hear about Rolly through a local swim. What's amazing about Rolly is the amount of kindness that comes from his heart. Considering his background has been one of trial and tribulation, he started his journey in Guyana way back in the 1980s. And unfortunately, his mother passed away when he was only six. Listen as he tells us his amazing story of the journey through St. Lucia and then all the way to Canada and how he managed to achieve getting on another track. Please be aware that his journey is not one of all happiness and there are some subject matters that people might find disturbing. However, he's still very proud to be the father to his young son, Leyland. My first question was a simple one. Where did he get that fantastic name from? My start of my name is technically Latino or Portuguese because I was born in a small little town in Guyana in South America called Letem. It's bordering a, a small little part, like way west of Brazil. And the closest town is called Bonfin. Yeah, so I guess we more, have more influence of the Brazilian influence than the Guyana influence because we're so close. So I guess my mom loved the name because a lot of the Latino people are called Raul. It's spelled the same, but I guess they put the done at the end. So, <laughs> Well, it makes it quite unique, doesn't it? But Augustine yeah. as well. Where does the Augustine uh, name come from? Augustine is from my dad's side. He's also Guyanese, but his parents are St. Lucia. They grew up in St. Lucia. They were born in St. Lucia. And when they had to go rush in Guyana, they all relocated there. So we, I got the Augustine from him. And everybody say it's the the name of the saint. It's just great. I love that cultural background and what have you. So why did you come to Canada originally? What was that all about? In 1990 or 1991, I was like 26, five or six. And my dad moved me at first to St. Lucia for a better life. And later on, I grew up in St. Lucia, went to school there. And I had to grow up with a single father, me and my little sister. And... I always see myself as always wanting to explore the world, but in St. Louis, it was really hard for us because just having a dad and he was not making much money. After I finished high school, I decided to go back to Guyana because I had missed home. I hadn't seen my brother. And plus my mom had passed away in 95 when I was 10. So I, I think the last time I saw her is when I left Guyana when I was only six. So I went back home to the town I was born in, and I spent two years there. I got a job with my high school diploma. I got a teaching job in my village, but they did not keep me in my village. They sent me to a little Amerindian village in the middle of nowhere, and I spent six months there teaching. It was really fun. 
fun to get away from electricity and technology. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I went back to St. Lucia. And when I came back to St. Lucia, I was working in the resorts in the north of the island and it was a little hard trying to make an ends meet. So my option was, since St. Lucia is technically still governed by the Queen, <laughs> the only option to us to get away to have a better life was to join the British Army. And I signed up, but I found out my dad never got our papers for us for St. Lucia for all those years. So I was technically an illegal immigrant in St. Lucia. <laughs> no, seriously. Yes. <laughs> and so I could not go anywhere. I chose to stay back and I had to work hard and I try to apply for my citizenship on my own because my dad refused to do it for us. So technically we were trapped in St. Lucia until we get our documents. And finally I saved up, which was hard to do in St. Lucia. And um, I managed to get my citizenship and I was going to go back to the army. And I found a long lost friend of mine who was in Canada. He told me, why don't you try Canada? I never had Canada on my radar. <laughs> yeah. Because Everybody was in St. Lucia is either England or America. That's all you hear people talk about over there. And Canada was not really spoken much about. And I said, what am I going to do in Canada? And I, he said, well, you, you can cook. You know how to cook and stuff. So come work in the oil fields and stuff. So I said, oh, okay. So we discussed and in less than a, after a month or so, my all my stuff was given away and I was heading to Canada. <laughs> wow. So you, you went feet first. You just thought, I've got to commit, yeah? Yes. He, my friend knew what he was planning, but he had a lot of stuff. I wasn't like really know what was going to happen when I arrived there. He All he told me is to make sure I send my documents to him in advance. He'll help me with the ticket. Don't leave nothing behind because you might not come back. So I said, okay. And at that time, St. Lucia, we didn't need a visa to come to Canada, but now it's different. But when I came in, I only had a two-week ticket. So when you first arrived in Toronto, what was the first impression? Well, it said they were having 8 p.m. in the evening. And me, I was like, well, why is it still sunny out? <laughs> it's supposed to be dark because I've never seen sun still arrive at, up at 8 o'clock in the night. Oh, that's right. Because in the Caribbean, and of course, and down in the South Americas, the, the, the sun goes down pretty early, doesn't it? Well, it was May 18th, 2008, if I remember but I didn't get to go outside. I was inside the terminal all this time till next day morning to get the flight to Edmonton. It's when I arrived in Edmonton, I came like a tropical person with nice little tropical outfit, shorts and stuff, you know, thinking it's nice up. When I arrived in Edmonton and we arrived, came out of the airport in Edmonton, it was so cold. I can imagine. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. What sort of temperature was it? I think it was like maybe plus 10 or, or 11 or so, maybe under, yeah, but... It was green out, dandelions everywhere and stuff, but it was just chilly. And for me, I didn't have a sweater, I had shorts and everybody's looking at me, you know, why is he dressed like that? My friend came and picked me up and he had a sweater on. So he had to give me his sweater so I can walk to the car because I was shivering. Oh my goodness. But you know, it's all relative, isn't it? Because a lot of people don't understand, you know, if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, yes. when you do go to warmer countries, your body adapts very quickly. And uh, like you say, 10 degrees is very cold for anybody coming from the Caribbean. It, it really is, you know. But anyway, so you got picked up in Edmonton. Your friend was here. How did you get started in life here? He, he used to work at the airport, so I was new i didn't know my way around i try to find ways to try talking to people and i started looking at the map of edmonton and i said okay 109 street is a long street so i can maybe keep walking straight until i cross the river and then stay don't turn left or right just walk and then turn back before i get lost and i 
I did that. I remember that the first time I braved it to go, I walked from one of my street all the way all across the bridge. And I saw an old lady was like just picking berries on the tree. So I asked her, what's that? And she said, that's Saskatoon berries. Oh, yes, of course. And I stayed there with her. I helped her pick on the taller branches and she she had an extra Ziploc. She gave me some. So it was really cool. And that I had a really strong Caribbean accent. So I was a little nervous and I had a gold teeth that time. <laughs> so it was really interesting. And a few days after arriving, my friend took me to um, Canada Place. And he told me to just take all my documents with me and tell them at the desk that you're applying for refugee status. So, okay, so you're applying for refugee status. What happened next? What, what was the next stage in your life to get you on the, the bandwagon, get you on the road? After the, they took all my documents, I got copies and they told me I'm, in a month I'll get my work permit. So I was excited for that. At the same time, I already had a social worker that was from Alberta Works to help me. After that, I started to apply for jobs as a cook. And I got my first job with this company called PTI Camps. I got a job as a salad maker. I was only making $13 an hour. And they sent me somewhere in Fort Mac area in the middle of nowhere, minus 40. <laughs> That's complete cultural shock. I mean, come to oh, Edmonton. Yeah. My first ever job in Canada and they sent me to the frozen north. <laughs> so, I mean, again, you know, somebody who comes from the culture you come from, coming predominantly into Albertan culture, which is completely different. Did you find you adapted okay or was it a pretty tough road? It was a tough road because, like I said, I had that gold tooth. If you thought I was a gangster, I had my hair almost like similar to this, Afro-ish. And a strong Caribbean accent, so trying and get my way around. And after I had an issue with my roommate, so I had to leave. And so I talked to my worker and she found me a place. And I was still working, but I was trying to look for another part-time job when I have my seven days off. But people was afraid of me on the streets. When I opened my mouth to talk and they see a little picture of shiny gold, they were like looking at me. One time I remember I was asking for direction and this lady holding her purse under her arm like she think I was going to rob her or grab her purse. I was like, really? <laughs> you know? I'm a kind soul, so, but, you know, I had to go through a lot of issues, even when he was trying to make friends, even online, on, on, on like, those dating websites and chat websites. You try to make friends, people were not friendly. Some were not nice, but some were, like, telling me, go back to my country, you're not welcome here. Some of them will tell me they already have one Black friend. It's like they have a quarter of how many Black friends they should have, you know? So it was really tough. I didn't expect it, but... It's part of life, I guess. You can't really uh, escape from these kind of things. With all those bad experiences, I kind of grew a thick skin. Yeah, yeah. So over the years, I grew a thick skin. And um, during my immigration process, I get bored of Edmonton. And in 2009, a year after I arrived in Edmonton, I didn't like it here. It was hard to make friends. And majority of my friends were from the East Coast, who I worked with, from Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. So I moved to New Brunswick. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I gave up my job in the camps and I moved to New Brunswick and I started a cooking job at the Crown Plaza Hotel in New Brunswick. Worked there for almost eight or nine months before I got my letter saying that I need to go for my immigration hearing, which was the scariest time for me. Oh, right. So then you had to turn up. And where did you have to go for that hearing? I went to Montreal because that was the, uh, instead of going to Nova Scotia or Toronto or wherever they told me to go, I just chose Montreal. And a friend of mine drove me to Montreal and I loved Montreal and I stayed there. And I, yeah, it's a beautiful city. The hearing, which was the scariest time facing a judge. But I think the timings, she was in Alberta and I was in Montreal. I was doing a, a video conference with her and 
she was trying to find evidence or proof that I should be staying in Canada. And it was really nerve wracking because she was not getting enough evidence. And I was like, because of nervousness, I was not speaking properly. And But she was late for the, in the, meet, the hearing. So it kind of kept more favor on my side. She apologized. So after almost an hour and a half or so of talking and, on, and trying to find proof, I was almost to the end because my friend came with me. He said, um, if they decide to not to keep you in Canada, you only have 30 days to leave. And she said, he said, if for some reason they're going to send you home, I'm going to marry you just so you to stay here. <laughs> okay. So, but finally you got to the end of the hearing and w- what happened? Well, she came back after almost 25 minutes of sitting in the back in her office, de- deciding what she's going to do. And then she came back and she said, with everything I've seen you do and the proof that you showed me that I really want to be here and stuff. Like when she came in, she, she was serious. I was, my heart was pounding and she told me, she decided the verdict is that she will let me stay. And then she told me, welcome to Canada. I hope, I wish you all the best in your life. And we, we um, hope you become a good citizen and do good, you know? And I was rejoicing. I was crying. I was, everything came out and my friend was hugging me up and crying and he said, thank you. He told her, thank you. And she was smiling and seeing us how happy we were. And she left. And that same night I went to celebrate. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. But, you know, what an achievement to come from where you've come from, the background that you had and trying to make your life better. You finally got the stepping stone you really needed to get started and, you know, in a new life, I suppose, in a new world. So tell us what happened after that. How did you start to get into the, the business that you're in now? Because you're a registered master therapist. Is that correct? Yes. Well, before I became a massage therapist, after I filmed all the hearing stuff, I my life started in um, Montreal. It was hard to get a job because there you no know, French. And so I decided to go back to school in Montreal. And I went and I did a one year of professional cooking. And I got my diploma in professional cooking in Montreal. And as soon as I finished my diploma, I did not work a single day in Montreal. I went right back to Alberta so I can get a higher paying job in, in the oil fields. Yeah, and it makes sense. So many people do that from the East. They'll have their life in the East of Canada, just explains to the rest of the listeners. And we were talking 4,000 miles across Canada. Oh, yeah. You know, but people generally what they do is they'll generally go to Alberta, the oil, uh, you know, part of, of the country and make good money and then fly back and have a life back over East. But you decided what? To move wholesale to Alberta to live here again. Is that right? Yeah. And during that time, whilst I was in cooking school, I met my son's mom, who is currently transgender. And Trendula Mill, and we had a my beautiful little boy, and I was more focused on having a better future for him, and guess it was hard for us back there. So after he was born, two weeks after he was born, okay. I moved in February of 2012 on Valentine's Day to Edmonton, and I left them in Montreal, <laughs> and I went and I found a place, and I got my job, a new good job as a first cook in Royal Camp Services. And I went up north and I went after two or three months of making money, I saved and I went back to Montreal, packed all our stuff in a moving truck and shipped it over and we flew down to Edmonton. Wow. So what a big, big difference for you then, isn't it? You finally got established. You finally started to get some money in the bank and establish your family here in Edmonton. So what happened next? After that, 12, 2013, around March, the ex and I, she was bored here because there was no French people speaking French to her. So she decided to take my son away. She lied to me and told me that she's going to see her family and she'll be back by my days off. She took my car and went to the airport and abandoned the car there. 
because I could not drive, but I got her a car so she can get around. And she took this child and she took all her stuff and left. And I didn't see her for nine months. We were trying to get in contact. She told her family, that I really was mistreating her financially and physically abusive, which was all not true. We fight and I had to go to court. And until I decided, you know what? I'm making a lot of money. I'm hardly home. So let her keep the boy and I will pay child support, you know? And I did in 2013, she left. And in the same year, I bought my home in 2013, July. I wish my son was here when we had bought it, but things happened. And in 2014, it was my, after the court hearing and everything was finalized, it was close to 2014. And January of 2014 was my time to go see him. I booked the flight to Montreal and went to pick him up and I went to stay at my friend. But that same night, her family asked me to stay for dinner. During dinner, she, my son's mom gave me a, le- a little note saying that if I can take my son with me back to um, Edmonton for some time, for three months, because she's going through personal issues, her transition, her family have issues with her. So she just wanted him to be with me. So I said, oh, okay. So I called the airline and pushed my flight early so I can spend more time with him. And went back to Edmonton and the next morning we arrived, when we arrived, I wake up, I saw a long text saying that if I would like to have my son full time, because she thought being a parent, it will be fun, but she have no time for herself since the baby's there, her family don't want to watch him. And apart from that, I think there's another reason why they gave me him is because he was the first ever multicultural person in their family history. You know, they were not that that happy about it. They wanted to keep their family all white. So it was a little weird for them to see a half black child walking around on a bunch of white people. So it was a little hard for for them, I guess. So I didn't question anything. I took my son and I did not ask questions. I just called her on the phone. I said, are you sure about this? She said, yes. She said, my mom and my dad and my family don't want to watch him and I have no freedom anymore. And I, instead of he going to the system, I prefer to give him to you. I said, okay. And I had to go back to camp. I had to call right away and tell him I am resigning as of this day because my son just came to live with me. And I had really had a little bit left saving. Thank God I had some savings. I didn't know what else to do. I just quit my good job just to watch my son. And he came, he was important. So the job can always come anytime. After that, after I quit, it was a really tough road. I, I can imagine. I just want to ask you something there because, you know, you've had lots of challenges in life. You know, we've got the cultural challenges, which we're, we're very aware of. You know, that's that these things happen and you have to deal with them in the way that you do. But, I mean, you did talk about your ex-partner now being transgender. What kind of influence or what kind of um, effect did that have in your life? Could, did that can compound things a little bit? Or, you know, were you able to support her because I imagine she transgendered to uh, uh, being a lady. Is that correct? Have I got that correct? Uh, no, she transgendered from female to male. Oh, I, I apologize. So she transgendered from female to male. Okay, we've got that right. So what sort of challenges does that bring to a relationship and to your life? We spent two years together and I knew from when I, we met that she wanted to do the transition. And during when we, she got pregnant, she kind of took a break off the testosterone treatments. And I was fine with it because I'm part of the LGBT community also. So it wasn't a big issue for me. And after, I guess, she had the baby and came and lived in Edmonton, it was too much for her English language. She wasn't that great on it. The transition, she was more focusing on her transition. And plus, you know, 
with transitioning to a transgender person, you have a lot of tests and mental stuff you have to test before you or to see if you're capable of getting it. So she had so much going on. She had anger issues and always upset easily. When she left, it, it, when, I, when I got my son, we try to keep in touch and stable and I was trying to support her and respect her. Um, but that time she was adamant that my son should keep calling her papa. And my little son, he was like only two years old. Didn't really, he, when he first came to me, he was only speaking French and he was calling her papa. And then when he started to grow up with me a year or so after, he didn't really understand what transgender is. When he, when he see a video on her own video, he will say, um, Loic, he'll call her by her name. And she was getting upset about it. Be like, I'm not teaching him to call her papa. I'm, the child was very smart, <laughs> very smart kid. He knew who he was because after 2014, 2015 summer, I tried to be civil with her and she came over to visit him after a year with her, her grandmother. And when they arrived here, I drove them to Banff, take them out to see the mountains and stuff. I was really hospitable and, you know, I've been a good host. And she still tried to cause issues while she was here. When she arrived, first thing she went straight to was my router for my Wi-Fi password. As soon as she arrived from the airport, she didn't even check and see the house and play with the boy. She just walked right into the house. Where's your Wi-Fi? She saw the router there. She went and she got the password and started playing games, chatting with people in Montreal. And the great-grandmother and I was out chatting and playing with the boy. And two days or three days in, we already having issues. She didn't want to eat what I cook. She just goes to the store and buy junk food. Then... I noticed I've been, I, when she arrived, I observed her for a little bit that she was not really playing with her son. She was not hanging out with him. So I stopped though. I stopped her and I said, hey, what did you come to Alberta for? She said, oh, to see my child. I said, well, I haven't seen you really pick him up or play with him since you're here. You've been on that computer mostly the whole day. She got a grumpy and um, I had was getting upset. She was starting to argue and give attitude. So I changed the password on her. Oh my. That was the wrongest mistake. She was the biggest mistake I did. She got furious and she started getting upset, raising her voice. I said, you came in to see your child, go take him for a little bath, give him a bath and play with him. You know, you see, you haven't seen him for a whole year. So she decided to go shower him. She went to shower together with him and the grandmother came in, started arguing and, you know, it, it started to escalate. So I told her, you know what, after this, you, if you come and see, visit him, you're welcome to set a hotel. I cannot have you disrespect him in my home. You know, I just want to put a name to your son. Oh, his name is Leland Raleigh Augustine. Great name. I, I named him after me because my full name is Ralden Leland Augustine. There you are. There you well, are. Called Raleigh. So. <laughs> okay. And I know we're talking about lots of issues there, and I, I don't want to really get bogged down the individual things. I, I know that things were quite a challenge for you. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward. Let's let's figure out, okay, you, your ex-partner moves away. Um, you then start to live your life. How do you get yourself on another track? How do you actually get yourself up and running and start to create a life uh, for Leyland? Well, I applied for jobs and I found, got a job with Air Canada in 2015. And it was going great. I'd really like it. And then when the NDP came in power that year, or 2016, things get kind of tough because of the oil industry and Air Canada lay us off a month before my probation was up. Uh, then I would have been part of the union, which was hard. Yeah, It was tough because I had really had any savings and I was only making around... $16 an hour. I was trying to find work and nobody was hiring. And so I had to go apply for welfare. 
And I was really blessed that I met the lady who was in charge of my file. She was really nice. She was helping out. And she told me, why don't you look and going back to school, do a different career for the time being? And I looked online. I see well, what the government might be able to, I might be qualified for student loans. And I found massage therapy because I always wanted to help people. I always wanted to be in the healthcare industry, but not poking people or taking blood. I don't like those. <laughs> and I found massage therapy and you saw that McKinney College was the highest one that offers the highest training. And I said, hmm, I'll try it out. And I went, did the, the walker, you know, go and visit them for the tour and loved it. Then I started my 18 months training with McKinney College. And in 2018, end of 2018, I graduated as a registered massage therapist. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and what did that feel like? I feel really, really proud of myself knowing that with this career, I can be my own boss. I can have my own business. I don't have to work for somebody if I don't want to, you know, and with the, this career, I can take my certification anywhere around the world. 3000 hour training is a lot, you know, for massage therapy. And after that, my mindset started to change. I said, I want to run my own massage business. When I was doing my practicum, I worked at different places trying to get my hours in. And I noticed that there wasn't a fair treatment for therapists. They had more female therapists than males. The females always get the clients. The males will just sit there. Nobody want to book you. And if you don't book anybody, you don't get paid. So I'll sit there for five hours and don't get a single client. That, that's just crazy, isn't it? Because, you know, we're trying to be much more inclusive these days, you know, but be it race, sexuality, the sort of career that you go into, you want to try and make it open to everybody. But the reality is that, you're, as you just said there, you, you know, if you're up against ladies in a massage therapy situation, 95%, would it be fair to say, 98% of the time, they're going to go for that for that person. But why do you think that is? is? Is there a fear of a man touching another man's body or a man touching a woman's body? What, what do you think it is? What does it boil down to? I think it's all like a, a sexual thing in the, the eyes of the people. They think a woman is more cute and sexier, that she has the nicer body. Because I think a lot of the clients are male, so... They prefer a woman touching them and it's in some other women prefer women because it's more of relaxing and spyish and, you know, I don't know. It's hard, but to have a dude touching some, a lot of people think as another man touching another man, it's kind of weird and awkward and they think it's gay and stuff like that. So in them, the mentality hasn't changed from the olden days. Like women should massage men. It's like a straight thing only. It's only look at it as a straight thing man should be get massaged by a woman and a woman should get massaged by a man it's okay for a woman to get massaged by a woman but not a man to get from a man so yeah but but, but hold a second because I, I i think what has been incredible about what you've done though is you've managed to kind of convert that and you do have a number of clients who come to you and they're males and females you know you you have both and how did you manage to overcome the issues, though? But how did you manage to get people in the right frame of mind to start to come to you? What were some of the things that you did? When I post my ads, I will said, all is welcome. Um, it's a safe place. I don't judge people. I, I let them know that I'm a Caribbean male. So at least they know who I am. And it's their choice to say, OK, if I want to book with him or not. But they try to luck and they book with me. I try to be very respectful. I try to make them feel as comfortable as possible respect their wishes if they don't, they don't like getting touched certain areas i will avoid that i will ask okay is there any areas you want me to avoid they have the choice if they want to be undraped on the table i don't make them okay you have to keep covered all the time because in those other big massage therapy places they will not allow the clients to be fully undraped they will have to 
according to the policy, you have to be covered up and you can expose yourself. And a lot of people are f- happy to be free in their skin. And if they feel like they're like they're having to hide everything when you're on a table and draping somebody up, yes, it's respectful if they want to be draped, but some people love just being relaxed on the table and that way you get more access to the body. If, because if you kind of massage somebody for sheets in the way, it's, you have to massage over the sheets in certain areas. And that's kind of robbing the person of a full body massage. If you advertise as a full body massage, we should not, as adults, we should not be ashamed to see somebody on the table fully nude. It's part of life. You know, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's not like you're doing something illegal or anything, you know, it's just a body. Okay, so you qualified as a, as a therapist. You've now set your business up. Just remind people about your business. You've got a website, is that correct? Yes, I have a website. It's called rollywellness.ca. That's the website link. I also have a Facebook page for it. It's called Raleigh Wellness Massage Therapy. And also it's same on Instagram. Sometimes you can find my ads on Kijiji and on Reddit. I'm always open to getting new clients. Since I've opened three, almost four years ago, I've met so many wonderful people from all walks of life in different job categories, you know, and I'm really proud to meet these people. And everybody's been so kind and nice to me and they really enjoyed my services. And that's what I like. I like to see when people are happy and I can know that I help somebody overcome a back pain or a shoulder pain or something. That makes me happy, you know? Well, you're halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. I hope you're enjoying the interview with Roland Augustine. He's a fantastic character, isn't he? Well, next I wanted to ask Roland a little bit about his life in Guyana and what effect the culture had on him. Guyana is it's a, it's almost similar to Canada. It's a multicultural place. It's the only English-speaking country in South America. And the culture is similar... It's like as more of a Caribbean slash East Indian culture because there's a lot of East Indian people, descendants from India, and a lot of Caribbean from Africans and also Latinos there. Everybody's mixed in one country. A lot of Asians, Indians, there's white people, and you know, from Portuguese, from Canada, they all migrated there. And it's a it's like a blended culture and You'll have a little bit of, if you come off the airport and you're driving downtown, you'll hear a bunch of Hindu music or you'll hear Caribbean music or, you know, like they celebrate Diwali there and the water festival for the Indian culture and the Caribbean, they have the mash, they call like it's a carnival for the, like the parade and stuff. So the food is delicious, of course. There's a lot of Caribbean food, which I can cook. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask you that the food. You're just preempting my next question. Tell me culturally what the food is. What's the mixture of the foods? Is it kind of Asian? Is there a little bit kind of Portuguese, a bit of North European, you know, with a bit of South America in it? What, what's it all about? Um, it has a lot of Indian influence in it. A lot of curries, a lot of um, like, there's a few like roti, curry, dal, a lot of fried stuff. Like Indian, almost like the Indian um, little treats like um, metam. It's like a almost like a little crisp, sugary dough stick that you can just crunch and eat. There is like baked goods. Like there's this one called salara. Like it's it's a bread dough that you put a coconut filling that's red and then you roll it up. So it looks like almost like a log cakes that roll. You know, like those roll. Yeah, like a cinnamon swirl type thing yeah. sort of idea then. Okay. There is other like, we call it egg balls, but it's like an old egg. You have like a, a cassava, a yucca mash or like a normal potato mash 
enclose the, the egg and then you deep fry it. So it comes out like a, almost look like a, um, is it a Scottish or a British dish? Yeah, it's, it's Scotch eggs. Scotch, Scotch egg? eggs. Yeah, yeah. They have the, the meat surrounding with the sort of breadcrumbs. So it's really a protein surround, whereas the one you were talking about is a starch. It's a carbohydrate surround. But that's so Indian, isn't it? I mean, when you think yeah. about Indian food pakoras and the, the different things that they do. So listen, I, I want to know a little bit about mum. I hope you don't mind me asking, Gianna, yeah. because she, she was Gyanan, is that right? She was from Guyana? Yeah. yeah. So what do you know about her and what's her background and you know what was her name actually let's put a name to mum um her back my mom's side of the family is more east indian her name her name was hilda ashby and she she was a beautiful woman she had really long straight indian hair black hair very beautiful and she had six kids i was i'm number five she had um four older ones and my little sister is the last one and she was a, a single mom my dad was with her, but then, you know, he was a younger guy and he was cheating all over the place. So technically she was single, raising six kids and and she was already a grandmother because my older sister was 18 when she had her first child. Having to raise six kids in a small little village where there was not no electricity really at that time. I think when we were growing up, we didn't have electricity. So only certain people had electricity. So we were living off of kerosene and candlelight. She was very friendly. Everybody knew her in the village. And I think I got all those talents from her because she loved cooking and always making some dish for us to eat. And, you know, she cooked good with the Caribbean and Guyanese food. So when I left, like, Selusha, when she died, I did not know about her passing until a year after she passed. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. My dad was not that friendly that he didn't want to tell us right away. He didn't have a good relationship with her. So that's one of the reasons he took us from my mom, you know, and... Uh, I always hated him for that because the last time I saw my mom, it was for my sixth birthday. And the only thing she could have afford to give me that day was a boiled egg. She loved eating eggs. She was pregnant with my sister. So I, so I stayed with her and enjoyed my sixth birthday. And that was the last year I saw her. I'm really sorry to hear that, man. But you know, it's significant though, isn't it? That all she could give you was a boiled egg, but what, what a gift, you know? Yes, and that memory is lived on up to this day. Uh, I'm 38 now, and I still remember it like vividly. Like still, every time I see an egg, I remember it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. Okay, so mum passed, and and you had to then move to, with your dad. Now your dad was in Guyana at the time, is that correct? And then he moved to Saint Lucia. Is that I've got that right? Well, technically, he already went to Saint Lucia and set up his stuff there, and then he came back for us one at a time. I went first, and then you get my little sister, who once she left, she was only three or four when she last saw my mom. So technically she has no memories of Guyana and she don't remember, she didn't remember her brothers and who they were until later on in life. That's tough as well, isn't it? And, but going to what happened with dad then, so what did dad do in terms of a job in St. Lucia? What did he manage to do to establish a home and, and to start to bring an income in? Well, as soon as I arrived, I went to stay with my dad's side of the family, cousins, and I stayed with my great aunt, she used to live in England almost a lot of her life, and she was in her late 70s or 80s, and her name was Maria Hart. Her husband was British, a British white man, and they never had kids, but they, fought, they adopted a lot of kids and stuff, you know, in the, in the time. And I grew up with her, and my dad left and went and worked on some oil ship somewhere in Europe for like six months. <laughs> we didn't see him, so I did not really live with my dad. I went straight to my aunt. So an elderly lady had to raise me, and she did a good job. She teach me how to sew a button on my school shirt, how to hem a pants, 
I was so ripped and she should teach me how to start cooking my own lunch. So every Sunday after school, after church, I come home and we have to make Sunday lunch. I used to help her cook. And after lunch and everything, before I can go play with my friends, I have to go picking a little gray beard off her chin. <laughs> you know, it was so fun. And every time I get at least 20 or more, I get 25 cents. So that's like a nice little icicle or something, you know, I can go buy a treat. It's and- <laughs> so funny hearing those little stories. Now people will probably recall like, oh, how could you? But, you know, you've got to think about the culture and where you were, you know, and that was just some of the funny little stories that happened. Well, that was fantastic. She gave you a great grounding in life, you know, learned so learn to cook. I mean, it's so important, so important in life, you know. So what happened then? So your life pretty much was in Seleucia then. That's really right up until, like you say, you moved to Canada. And, uh, oh, well, yes, you went back to Guyana. Sorry, you did for a little while. Um, So what was it like growing up in that culture? okay at least I had a lot of cousins by my dad's side I had my great uncle and other people and they were well off they did my uncle his name was Pierre we used to just call him uncle son and he had a big business in St. Lucia he was well known in the town of Beaufort and he had a big mechanical parts stuff kind of store and he grew up mostly of his life in England and then moved over and his kids were big and I had another uncle who's called uncle George he had a lot of different like pubs in the view for in view for it and houses and stuff. And he was a good uncle. But after I left to go back to Ghana in the early 2000s, that's when he but he passed away in the age of in his 70s or 80s. But I was okay. I was really fortunate to grow up around a family that really cared about me. And I got to do my first communion over there. And it was fun. They did a party for me. That was my first ever party I ever had. So it was really fun. And it was a good life, except after my dad came back from the, the oil ships and stuff. He came back and he was a old, also a soldier from Guyana long ago. So he had that soldier mentality up to this day. And he was not really, at that time, we didn't really was a fan of growing up with him because he was very, very mean and strict and abusive. We would get things for every any little simple little thing. You could not even be a kid around him, technically. You make a mistake, you have to watch your back or run and, or start, just know you're going to get a whooping for it, you know? And being the oldest, I always get blamed for everything. So let's put a name to dad. What was dad's name? His name is Clifford Errol Augustine. He just turned 63 last year. So he's close to retirement. For years in growing up with him, we never really liked him because we used to always wish that he was the one who passed away instead of my mom because he was so mean to us. My cousins, my other families used to try to stop him from whipping us because he was one of those people like, he will hit you without thinking that, oh shit, I'm hurting them, you know? And he will he will not stop until he see blood or something like that. He had a lot of anger. I don't know if it's the the thought of him breaking up with my mom or and the abuse needn't start with us. I found out after I went back home after as an adult found out that the abuse started with my mom. He used to beat her really bad when we were young kids. Threatened to hurt his own children. Threatened to hurt her bigger children if they don't she don't listen to him. So my mom had to give in to his thing and demands that. She, she was a very kind, so she never really had to fight back, but she kind of gave him attitude. He would want to hit her or headbutt her, kick her with his army boots. So that was really abusive. And I don't, th- I don't know, I always say in my head, why evil people have to survive so long, you know? But and always the good ones have to go. I was going to say, I'm really sorry to hear those things. I mean, I know that you've done something with your life at the back of that, which was a tough life. You know, you did something and you did get on another track. I mean, you managed to make a 
a major move to a new country and create a career for yourself. I just want to ask one question, though. Did you ever find out where that anger came from regarding your dad? What was his background and culture? Did you know anything about that? I tried so many times trying as kids. We try to ask him, tell us about when you were growing up. We want to know what happened when you were a child. He tries to avoid these things. He don't like talking about his past. I guess it's maybe it was really bad. Nobody knows what happened to him when he was growing up. He was abused too. But he tries to avoid things like that. He will change the topic on us. He will talk a little bit about just the good parts and then he will not never tell go deep into it. And or he'll say, I just don't want to talk about it. And now I have a good, a better relationship with him right now because of his, his son, his grandchild. And we try to be civil on, on the phone and even when I mention my mom's name to him, that kind of haunts him. He stops writing his tracks and he changed the topic. He does not want to talk anything about my mother. He said he wants to go, when he retired, he wants to go back home to Lethem, the town we were born in, to visit his old army mates. And if I say, are you going to go visit my mom's grave? He did not answer me. People are saying he's haunted by his past right now because of all the evil he did in two of my mom and all of my brothers and us it's catching up to him now. So now he's kind of trying to make an ends meet knowing that he's older. You know, and it comes to people much, much later in life, doesn't it? It's the reality of the seeds you sowed, you know, when you were younger. And, you know, when you're younger, we all do it. We do things without ever thinking. And, you know, so much of our culture or our environment affects the way that we relate to other people, you know, and I'm just so glad that you're out of that and you now have a much more equal relationship with him. And maybe one day he will reveal his soul to you. You just never know. Yes. Well, I hope that I hope that day happens. At least then you can understand and put things in perspective. Well, listen, I'm going to just dig a little bit deeper because I know you have another quite traumatic story, which I think listeners should really hear. Leaving St. Lucia really wasn't an option for you. You had to get out. What were the reasons behind that? Well, because being gay in St. Lucia, it's, it's technically a crime. People don't understand that people, whatever people do in the privacy of their own room or bed, no, has nothing to do with anybody else. Who you sleep with is not your, nobody else's concern. And people don't understand that. In their eyes, they're so stuck in the way of the Catholic church that they think it's, it's a crime, it's a sin and stuff. So being back home, I had to hide everything and nobody knew about me. I didn't even date a girl back home. And some of my friends came and visited me and they went and used my computer and they snooped into my history and saw that I was on a website and all that kind of triggered them and they invited me to a club one night and whilst I was down there they set they set somebody up to, to try to kill me. Wow. So I got stabbed right across over my heart and on my shoulder. And up to this day I have the scars and it's really it's been a scary time. I almost I always thought I was gonna die. I had to I there was no I could not call the emergency or the ambulance. So I had to run back to my house and I was bleeding and I had nowhere of getting to a hospital because in St. Lucia, everything is so far away and, and the system is boring and emergency system. No taxi, no buses. You can go in the middle of the night. So I had to take normal needle and thread to stitch the wound up in here just to get it to close and 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 wash it with vodka. I had a little bit of vodka to clean it. So wow. it was a scary thing. Uh, I never really mentioned it to a lot of my family and stuff. A lot of people didn't even know. I don't think even my dad knew that happened. A lot of my family don't know. Back in St. Lucia, don't know what happened to me. I just kept it secretly. Because there's a few people who was gay and they were more feminine and out there and they got killed in St. Lucia. One guy, he got into a car with some guy he, he met on the gay site and the guy was nice to him and they went and was going to do some kind of meets and 
the guy took him in the car, went by the beach to hook up with him and decided to hang him. Oh my goodness gracious. So they hanged the guy and abused him, his body and, you know, violate his body. And then they found him hanged by the bush, by the rocks. So it was a scary. So I had to get out of there. And I was, that's the only opportunity I got those. I was either go to England. Maybe I thought England at the time might've been more welcoming. That's why I joined the army. I said that was the easiest way to live in England. And then, you know, the Canada, I chose Canada instead. And I never regret it, you know? I'm so, you know, I'm shocked by what I've just heard there because I didn't know that about yeah. you and, and uh, I mean, it's I something just... I never really speak much about um, unless I feel it's right. And as I get older, I say, you know what? What's the point of holding it in and just having it there? It's just not going to do anything. It's good to let people know what's going out there and how people react and the experiences because that way people can avoid, you know, you know, you, certain uh, Caribbean islands, you can't go there and holding your boyfriend hand and walking around the streets. You can get hurt. You know, they're not, you're not up to date with the times yet. With, that's like Canada is. Canada has so many laws and rules to protect gay people and um, LG, the LGBTQ community. But you go to St. Lucia and you say, uh, do you know what's LGBT? They will not even know what that means. You do you know what's a lesbian? They might not know. I didn't even know what was a lesbian until I arrived here. So, you know, I was 24 when I started learning more about the what made me so attracted to guys and stuff. So I didn't know the term for it back home, you know? I always like to flip the coin over and temper, you know, really tough stories like this. But you've had actually a claim to fame, and I, I we haven't brought this one up yet. But you actually showed me a photograph, okay, because uh, you did uh, one of the, um, you know, I think, what was it? Was it a gay pride week in Edmonton? Yeah. I think it was. And you did um, you did a little bit of kind of drag, you know, you decided uh, to sort of dress up. And uh, I'll tell you right now, listeners, I would not have recognised him as a guy. I have to tell you that right now. But here's the thing. What's your claim to fame from that photograph? Tell everybody. I um, started it in Montreal. My son's mom was okay with it. She was supportive of me doing drag and it was to help bring in a little bit of money when I do shows. And I, for the parade, I dressed as Catwoman because I really aspire, love Harley Berry and Catwoman. And I put my own outfit together and I had my own little Afro back and I looked really good. And I was kind of proud of myself. I got so much compliments. So I started to keep, you know, continue the tradition. So and when I moved to Edmonton every year, I would go to Pride with my son and dress up in my little costume I created at home. And I used to get so much compliments. I even got a picture with me with the prime minister before he was a prime minister. So I was going to say, just to clarify, this is Justin Trudeau we're talking about, isn't it? Yes. He came to um, Edmonton to do his little um, campaign and he was there walking the parade on White Ave. And I saw him in the, and I had my big elaborate costume with my little horns and cow shoes thing i was like almost like a satyr or um, those half you know those half animal half thing kind of minotaur thing and he saw the horns and he said "Ooh!" and he point to me and i say and i say hey can i have a picture with you and he said sure and i pulled him around the waist and took a picture and i was it was fun interesting to get pictures taken with the now prime minister and in the past i've been on saw myself on the news, um, CTV News, and got interviewed by certain people asking me, tell me that it's good to see diversity in Edmonton because that time they didn't have a lot of, well, mostly they had more Asian drag queens and white drag queens, but they were not seeing no Caribbean or African-American drag queens because I noticed the great African-American community here is very discreet and they like to hide them. They're afraid to show themselves. And I don't know why they will be afraid because Canada is a safe place to be here. And 
they should not be ashamed to show yourself. But because of how the gay community here in Edmonton is so, they're not united. They're all fighting each other. It is different sides there. So that makes it very worse for people to really be comfortable being what you want to be here in Edmonton. So the only thing I used to do, I was only used to take part in the pride, but since they had issues with the gay community and the organizers and they didn't want police involved in the parade and all this stuff, that made it really hard that they canceled the parade and because of that, which is really sad. I always said if I'd win the lottery or something, I would definitely be the one doing pride parade again. I want it. I love it. And you know what it would be? It would be the best South American inspired Pride Parade. I could just see you right now. Oh, yeah. It'd be like going down to wherever it is. Is it, is it Brazil? And they go and do it in the streets. Oh, yeah, it's just big, great. <laughs> I would make it the best parade in, this, in, the, in the country because it might not be as big as those Toronto ones, but it'll be, it'll be spoken about because I will make sure that I have a team of people that is not divided and they don't, will not find any faults and not hate each other and bickering and who don't want the police there the police i understand if all the issues they know how they're treating people but we're all humans you know you have to they just have to just have to find the right ones to come and and, and if the mean one if they don't like certain people don't like being there they don't have to come you know what they don't have to no it's a choice and we, we all come out to see the beautiful beautiful rainbow colors and bring your family out and just enjoy a nice day out instead of sitting at home so you can see all the different floats and I will be make sure I have more floats and more elaborate costumes and, you know. So, Ronnie, what do you think the future looks like? I wanted to say that one day, when hopefully when things pick up for me, I want to be able to have start a little organization for in the LGBT community um, because I know there's a lot of teenagers or young adults that have nowhere to turn when they come out as trans or they're interested in drag. They have nobody to turn to because... There's no button. The kids, the younger ones have no support, really. And they, some of them, you could, some of them commit suicide. They hurt themselves because they have nobody to help them. Parents kick them out because they're trans. I want to have an organization that welcome these kids, welcome people and teach them. Some of them drop out of school. So at least we'll teach them how to do the basic stuff, not only drag stuff and be able to do the transition, but also life skills, cooking and how to do the do a resume you know it's almost like a little company come together with volunteers that can help them transition and get better in life and if they like doing drag shows or want to be a drag queen teach them how to walk in stilettos and teach them how to be able to be creative to make a the simple little dress or something you know stuff like that well listen i'm gonna kind of get us back to business a little bit because that's the whole point of this program is to show people how you've managed to achieve what you've achieved but also as a vehicle to let people know that you're out there and you're there to help because there's a couple of the things that you do and you're, you're very understated you don't always really advertise this stuff but you're quite an entrepreneur in terms of you have potions and lotions because i know you put those things together so i want to talk a little bit about that and uh, also i want to talk a little bit more about your cooking as well your passion for cooking before we finish so tell us what you're you're specializing at the moment you've got your master's therapy business but complementary to that yes you do the potions and lotions is that right yes i started to also incorporate into my massage business since it's wellness and health i wanted to start making my own homemade organic locally sourced lotions, creams, soaps, um, body butters, body scrubs, facial serums here. And I just want to be able to sell it to people because when I started to look at what I buy in the stores and I noticed being not 
from Canada, my skin in the cold gets very dry and itchy in the, in the winter and my lips get cracked and I use all this stuff and it wasn't helping. And anytime I buy shower gel from the stores, it dries my skin out really bad. So I started to find, started doing my research to see if I can start making my own products from home. And it wasn't that hard, just find on YouTube. Thank God for YouTube. And found a bunch of people in Canada who are younger than me, teenagers, young adults who are making, making money selling homemade locally sourced products, organic, no weird chemicals in it. So far, I've made a, a bunch of lip balms. Wow. Yeah, I can see those. They look great. I just need to get some labels. And I also started to make homemade soaps because I love the way it is. And you can put whatever you You know what's inside the soap, you know? You don't have some weird chemicals. You can't even pronounce the name. That's If I cannot pronounce the name, I don't want to use it. That's how I am. So I started to make some nice homemade soaps. And they're all, all natural. All you need is the ingredients. This one here, it has a mixture of stuff from my pantry. It has turmeric, ginger, oatmeal, and the black parts is activated charcoal. I had in a bottled capsule, I emptied out and mixed it up. And it's, it's very good for the skin and even babies can use it because it's almost similar like for babies. It's very nourishing for the babies. And this one is one of my favorites. The pink part is a cherry scent, fragrance scent. The bottom is actually coffee grounds and chocolate. So I call it cherry mocha. That, those are fantastic, Robin. I mean, yes. your creativity is amazing. The colors, I imagine they smell brilliant as well. Oh, smell it smells brilliant. very luxurious. And a lot of my, all my soaps has hemp seed oil in it. I always wanted to go natural hemp seed oil. And so I use hemp seed oil in every soap with the other mixtures oils. I normally make them when I'm feeling like a little down or overwhelmed or stressed. It helps to calm me down when I make soaps. It's kind of curative. I recently make this one. I call it pumpkin spice. It has no pumpkin in it, but it has, I infused olive oil with um, star anise, cinnamon powder and clove powder. And I, and when the oil smells like it, I cool it down and I did the mixture of soap and I had my hemp seed oil and everything else in there. And um at the end, I grated fresh lemon rind in it. It smells like chai tea right now. The soap smells like chai tea. My, my mouth is watering because it's so, the, the, the ingredients are so natural. They, they're so good. And, and, yeah. and just seeing the colors are just amazing. So, just to confirm, these are available. I don't know if you've put them on your website yet, but people can get a hold of these. Uh, and hopefully you'll upload some details onto the website and uh, yes. people can maybe purchase them directly. And they can always drop you an email as well, can't they, if, if they want to purchase oh, yeah. them? Okay. Um, also, the other thing I just wanted to say, just very briefly, you're an amazing cook. Like you did talk about your training with cooking and you know, everything and being a chef. But again, whenever I sort of see you, you tell me what you know, what soups you've put together or what you've done with some sort of you know turkey or chicken. And so, give us a give us a really good basic recipe that people can get the flavor of the Caribbean and the Caribbean that you do now. That's really quick to do and it's great and it's cheap and cheerful, but it's wholesome. What would you recommend? So one thing I always love doing is making my own breads. Right? It's easy to do if you know how to mix a batter you know it's easy you have a mixer at home and you don't want to do it on your um with your hands which i learned how to make bread with my hands before a mixer was involved and it's easy it's you can easily make three ingredient bread flour no four ingredient water flour salt and yeast and you make a really luxurious bread you just have to know the texture um, but my favorite thing to cook is caribbean food i love my jerk chicken you just if you know how to you know the how if you know your spices and stuff you can easily make a nice little quick meal in like 30 minutes i can make a nice coconut rice in a few minutes um 
Okay, well, let's stop, stop you there. Come on, because you're going to have so many recipes. You're going to tell us, how do you make a great coconut rice? Give us a basic recipe. Go for it. I love jasmine rice, but you can also use basmati rice. I always wash my rice. So you have in the pot, you'll put a little bit of olive oil or coconut oil in there. I like to fry up my onions and garlic in there and um, fresh thyme. Then once the, the onions are soft and thing, you pour in the rice after you wash it, fry that up. Then you pour in a can of coconut milk. Then you kind of either use the, the chicken cubes or the chicken soup base or, you know, those can of chicken soup base. I don't like using salt. I prefer it has more flavor than soup base. A little bit, just enough to taste, not too salty and a pinch of sugar or so in there. And you put just enough water to cover the top of the rice and then you cover it. And then once it starts boiling, you put it to the lowest heat and let it steam till it's done. And it gets and you fluff it up and you have coconut rice. Right. Yeah. I'm going to give you a challenge here. You're going to have to write that recipe down and the technique, and then we'll post that with the podcast. All right. So that somebody's got access to the coconut rice because my mouth is just watering like I'm drooling here. I'm just thinking that just sounds great. <laughs> Would you be able to sort of do that for us? Oh, yes, I can. Or I can even do a demonstration, a quick little, small, quick video of demonstrating exactly what I use and quickly the steps and how to do it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. I, I, I would love the, the recipe for sure. But if we can do a quick demo with just a sort of like, you know, an iPhone and, and just saying what you're doing, we'll we'll do a link to that as well so that you've got that. Okay, listen, we're, we're going to be running out of time now. So I want to make sure that everybody can still get a hold of you. So I want you just to repeat your website and how people can drop your line. What's the best way of getting a hold of you? Uh, you can go to my website at raleighwellness.ca or Raleigh Wellness Massage Therapy on Facebook or Instagram, or they have my cell number there too. They can also, or you can email me at raleighwellness at gmail.com to get a massage or any anything if you just want to say hello or anything like that. Oh, I'm sure they want to say hello. I mean, especially if you're going to supply butter and uh, coconut rice. I mean, I'll be, I'll be there. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, listen, it's it's been a real pleasure. I know that we've not really fitted a lot of your life in, but what you have told oh, us, it, it's been an amazing sort of journey. And I'm so pleased that you've got here and you're doing what you're doing with the massage therapy and all the soaps and the potions and lotions. I just love that about what you do. And I, I know that at some stage, I'm definitely coming to, for supper, right? Cause you... Oh, yes. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> I'm still available also to do private chef and cooking for people. Too. There you are. There you are. So if anybody wants a private chef who can come and do a massage after and then so give you some lovely potions and lotions, yes. speak to Rolly. Listen, I've got one more question. I always ask all my guests this final question. It's always one that kind of stumps people. I don't know what your answer will be, so I'm just going to ask you. Um, if you were 18 again, what would you tell yourself? Uh, if I was 18 again, I will tell myself to anything, any challenges or any roadblocks or anything that comes my way or any people who are treating me bad or anything, just, just live life and forgive and forget. Uh, don't take anything for to heart take everything with a grain of salt and just live life to the fullest um and you know just try your best to ex excel in anything you do and always respect people no matter what no matter how mean they are to you just still have respect and kindness for them and always still love everybody and treat everybody equally Ah, well, there you are. I couldn't say it better myself. And uh, that's coming right from the heart, I can tell, knowing you so well. Yes. 
Well, Roldan Augustine. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show this week. I mean, I know it's something that we just did as a little bit of, come on, come on, just tell us your story. And I think it's been a very interesting journey. And I'm so glad you've achieved what you've achieved. And uh, as my mum would say, may the force be with you. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> awesome. I'm so happy to be on the show. And I'm really, I was a little nervous, but I'm really glad I did it. Um, thank you so much. I'm glad you did as well. Okay, well, take a steady look after yourself and look after your little man, Leyland, okay? Will do. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Rolly Augustine of Rolly Wellness, giving you the ingredients for your life, soul, and spirit. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.